Well, good morning, everybody. We start with some sad news out of Celtics Nation. John Havlicek, the franchise's all-time leading scorer, has passed away at 79. The cause of his death is unknown, though he did suffer from Parkinson's disease. Nicknamed Hondo Havlicek spent his entire 16-year career with the Celtics between 1962 and 1978, helping the team win eight world championships. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1984. His number 17 hangs in the Garden Rafters. Havlicek stole the pod. That's normally how we start this show here, but under somber circumstances, we had to say goodbye to the great John Havlicek this week. So no joke, just nothing but respect for the 79-year-old Celtics legend who we lost this week. I think he passed just before the weekend started. And a quiet, quiet legend, Alex. He, He hadn't been talking a whole lot. He hadn't been out in the public eye so much after his career ended. So it was... A nice reminder for a lot of people, I think, and they were able to reminisce about what a great Celtic he was. Still the leading Celtic scorer of all time. Yeah, and um, he was just one of, probably one of the best examples of a six-man. I think Jack McMillan had kind of talked about a little bit, maybe one of the first examples of a six-man. Yeah, the originator. And and there were years where it was like, if you look, he was playing like 40-plus minutes. So some of that was like a little bit symbolic, but just his stamina and his ability to just continuously like give it his all for 40 plus minutes was just something that a lot of older Celtics fans have related uh, back to us about how awesome that was and how great of a teammate he was in person. So yeah, this is one of the pillars of Celtics history going down. So obviously a tough time for the community. Also wanted to keep Gordon coming off and so we could, you know, um, play through some of his actions when those other guys went to the bench, um, you know, so we'll see how um, we'll see how it looks when we go back and look at it on film. But obviously, um, you know, I thought it was, it was good. Reminiscing on the original six man, the latest Celtics six man today really just brought the team in a new direction today. Great, great win in Game One for the Celtics. Really, just a big f you to. The Eastern Conference, the entire league, everybody who doubted this team, and Brad Stevens, I think, came out as vindicated as anybody today with this huge Game 1 road win. It's Bobby Manning here, Alex Kungu, talking about that blowout win in Game 1 for the Celtics. They had to you know, throw off a few bucks runs there. They had the big 20-4 uh, to 4 swing right before halftime that got the Bucks right within a possession before halftime. But... Honestly, first and foremost out of this game, Alex, as great as Kyrie Irving was, Marcus Morris starting, Gordon Hayward, you saw how different the team looks when he's himself, and he looked like the Gordon Hayward of old, attacking, dishing, swinging the defense left and right. The Bucks looked ready for Irving. They did not look ready for what Hayward was going to bring to the table. Yeah, and I mean, one of his best assets is the fact that he can pass, but as we saw earlier in the year, when he's not actually looking for his shot, it kind of affects his passing because then people just play him for the pass rather than also his offensive power. So as you saw, like he kind of started off getting to the lane against Pat Connaughton, scoring off of cuts, hitting his mid-range pull-ups. Then all of a sudden, like, you know, guys had to start paying attention because they realized he was kind of a mismatch. Then that's when you start seeing him, his ability to just push the ball all over the place. And in a lot of his passes, it's not necessarily like the assist that he makes. It's the fact that he's willing to also make that extra pass that then probably leads to then the assist. So just him being an, him being aggressive and him being as close to himself as we could reasonably expect 
really, really changes some of the dynamics of the series, and it, it really muddies a lot of the results we saw from earlier in the regular season when these two teams matched up. And what, what are we talking about still this late in the season? Rotations, rotations, rotations. Stevens is still experimenting. He's still going deep into his lineups. He's still bringing guys like Daniel Tice off the bench in this game. And honestly, I think a lot of people nationally and locally thought this was going to be the series where Gordon Hayward finally breaks back into the starting lineup. They mesh with that lineup that we all thought they were going to start the year with. But instead, it, I, big surprise, no, not Semi Ojale, not Aaron Baines, not Hayward. It was Marcus Morris who started this game, built that wall around the rim, and I thought played sensationally to the point where he was dishing out passes on the way to the rim. He was hitting Terry Roger in the corner for a three. I mean, this was like a Morris rejuvenation game and then some. I mean, I saw Coley Mix say during the game, like he was making plays that even like two days ago you wouldn't have expected Morris to make. So he was a very redeeming factor in this game too, among many others. Yeah, and I thought the three whole... blocks too. He really, he really played well. And I think... I actually think we're never going to see Gordon Hayward come back in the starting lineup this playoffs unless it's maybe like the finals and you're down like 3-1. You just need to throw everything. Because I do think Brad Stevens enjoys having kind of like a plant, like something in the back of his sleeve. Like, okay, if something's not working, I could throw in I can throw in like uh, Gordon into the mix and he can like give us a different dynamic. And I think his, his ability to do that off the bench is maybe a little bit more meaningful than what he could do with the starters as 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 constructed right now. But to your point, Marcus Morris did play well. He moved the ball. Um, he hit. He took and hit open shots. He didn't get too caught up in some of like the one on one stuff. Like he didn't try to like break the offense to go one on one of like Chris Middleton or anything like that. He played within himself, and it was it was just another good Celtic. Like I don't think any of them had bad games, but it was really great to see like him just kind of play within himself and kind of get back to the Morris that we saw from the first half of the season. That was, I mean, like the Celtics were marketing him as an all-star. So this was, this was a good first day and we're hoping that it can continue for the rest of the series. So we got a question on the live stream, you know, we're going into the modern world, bringing people into our live Sunday afternoon. A lot of people out there are probably watching Rockets Warriors right now tied at halftime. Can't blame them for that one. So they'll get this in the morning, but Juju Banks, Wants to know about Jason Tatum having the slow game. And that that was what I was thinking about at halftime, Alex. I was like, you know, you're getting Morris involved. Horford and Hayward addition, the pick and uh, pop game. Irving's doing his thing with those three crazy fadeaway shots that he had. That was my second favorite moment of the game. We'll get to my favorite in a minute. But among all the contributors in this one, Horford, Morris, Brown had a great game. Irving, Hayward, even the, some of the deeper bench guys. Tatum was quiet in this one. Three blocks, a steal, but just two or seven from the field. Honestly, in that first half, I didn't even notice he was out there. Did, did it look to you more like he was struggling offensively or just this was a game that called for more defensively-oriented guys? Well, I think I, I think there's two parts to it. One, as we know, uh, Milwaukee's defense is very much built on not getting to the paint. And if you think about back in the Pacers series when he was having a lot of success, a lot of that was his ability to get to paint, which then helps him get to the line and draw fouls. So this is this is a little bit of a tougher series where he's not going to get that. And then also to kind of your point, like it just it just wasn't his night. And we've seen this before during the season, during the playoffs, uh, like game one when when Tatum had like 15 and five and Jalen Brown had like five shots and like 
four points or something. Um, I think what we've seen throughout these playoffs so far is that it's going to be someone else's night every night. And there's always going to be maybe that one um, odd, odd guy out who doesn't get buckets. But yeah, that's how it's been all year for real. Yeah. They but to, able his to get credit, all four of those guys going together yeah. in one game, really. Yeah, but I mean, to his credit, um, he did play well defensively. He was, I think, a plus sixteen. Um, he was really instrumental in some of those, and uh, some of those like first half stops, especially against like Chris Middleton. He got like a steal. He was always in the right position. He played a really good role as being like another lengthy defender to kind of fluster Giannis as as he was being defended by Al Horford. So overall, it was a good all around game. But I do think we'll eventually see, like, later in the series, like, hit his offense starting to follow him along as well. We had the people out here today, over 10 people on the live stream. I'm loving it. They're talking to us. They're giving us questions. This is a new dynamic to the show, Alex. So I, I got to get into my lineup stats because those are my – that's my lunch right there. No food for me today, just these lineup stats. Horford, Irving, Morris, Brown, Tatum, plus 38 in this one. 65 defensive rating. Whew. That's that's the best lineup of the day. And then on the other side, their starting lineup, you know, Sterling Brown mixed in there off the bench, minus 26. Um, Mixon Hayward with that group, it's a plus one. That run against them probably didn't do it too well. But, you know, the story of this game, Keith Smith wrote this week about how you can't stop Giannis. You just got to slow him. They're going to throw all these mixes and matches. Everybody expected it to be semi. We saw semi for a little bit in that second quarter. But honestly, that brick wall, whether it was Baines, Horford, Marcus Morris getting in there, that wall that they built around the baseline that forced him out of bounds one time, you know, forced him off his you know, drives over there quite a number of times and just pretty much left him driving headfirst toward the basket. Not only slowed Giannis in this one, but for big stretches of the game, he was completely out of the fold. And they even had to put him on the bench and put a bunch of sh- shooters on the floor around Chris Middleton and have that be the basis of their team. And they haven't had to do that all year. It looked like Middleton was the best player on the team for a big stretch of this game. So, I mean, was that Giannis not being on his feet today, or did the Celtics really just solve that riddle that fast? No, there's no riddle solved with Giannis. I think that was a good feel-out game for him. You know what I'm going to talk about in one second. Yeah. um, So, like... I don't want to. So I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna go where you go. Where I think you're gonna go. I. But I do think that this. This was a good game. But I think it was just this game specifically. I don't expect to see Giannis being held to like seven to twenty-one shooting again. But I do think part of that is if the Celtics are gonna load up like that, Giannis has to be able to make them pay. And I think I tweeted about this a little bit, which is one of the biggest differences between him and LeBron, is that when you load up on LeBron, he's hitting that help side shooter so quick to the point where it stops the help defender from even wanting to collapse. Like It makes that defense almost impossible. So he's getting in situations where he's able to kind of dictate the, the matchup being one-on-one only because of his passing ability. And what you saw this game was that Giannis doesn't quite have that skill down pat yet. So even if the Celtics are super cheating and they're like a like way out of position for where a help position should be at, he's not really making them pay because he's so caught up in trying to get to the lane and score that it's affecting him. And then when when he's not a creator and the offense bogs down to like him just trying to score in the paint, that's kind of like the slow Bucks offense that you saw that then was getting torn up essentially. 
Yeah, and Mid- Middleton solved a lot of those problems through the stretches he was on the ball for. Uh, Miritich opened it up big time when he started hitting the threes. Honestly, in this one, and I got hosed for this a little bit on Twitter, it, for a team that went far, far in that three-point direction this year, you know, they're basically running it through Giannis to get those shots at the rim. I think, you know, he's 76% on his shots at the rim today, and that got thrown way out of proportion. I think that's the biggest reason the Bucks lost so badly in this one is that Giannis didn't get those shots at the rim they usually does. But then all their shooters who have been so great all year, Ilyasova, Miritich had a good game, but Pat Connaughton gave them nothing off the bench. Um, you know, not a whole lot from Hill in terms of shooting. Even Brooke Lopez, the master. What do they call him? What's his nickname now? I, oh, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> There's some Lopez. silly nickname for him now that he's a big three-point shooter, but he was a non-factor in this game. Oh, well. Splash Mountain. Yeah, Splash, Splash Mountain, the Disney one. <laughs> he was more like Goofy in this one. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they, they just got no role help in terms of shooters, and that killed them. And it reminded me of the Rockets missing 27 straight in last year's Western Conference Finals. So I look at this one and I'm like, they really just had no bailout plan. I saw you tweeting about the Rockets and what's the bailout plan when the threes aren't falling? They they didn't seem to have one in this one. Not a whole lot of in-between effort. And on the other side, you know, we've ripped the Celtics for not getting free throws, not being a great three-point shooting this year. But they showed why the offense has been so great in spite of that. Those crazy Kyrie Irving shots in between, uh, you know, getting Horford involved in the pick and pop in that area. They have a great in-between game that they take advantage of when nothing else is going great. Yeah. And I think that's also part of like why people were so high on their playoff ability. Um, it, it wasn't as great in the regular season when they were, you know, not playing within the offense and deciding to try to create on their own. But like you kind of see now an actual playoff situation where teams are looking to shut down maybe like your primary offense. Having guys that are just able to go to work in the mid post and things is very good. Having guys that can just kind of create on themselves. Like we saw Jalen kind of create a little bit against Eric Bledsoe. We we talked a little bit about Gordon Hayward on uh, Pat Connaughton. Um, of course, Kyrie doing some great work in the post. Um, Al Horford as well. When you have guys that can just kind of create um, off off one on one situations it kind of breaks the will of the defense because they're focused so much on shutting down all this other stuff but if they do all that and at the end of the day you have the weapons to continue to score consistently even without it um it makes you a really dangerous playoff team and i think this is kind of what we were expecting to see from the celtics and pat Connaughton and blossom right out of arlington massachusetts went to st john's prep a couple minutes from where i live he did not belong in this game. The way Hayward blew by him when he finally saw this guy's guarding me, number 24, and just completely left him in the dust. Uh, he was like dribbling toward the corner on one play, and Brown chased him down and stole it right from him. He did not look like he belonged in the NBA playoffs out there. Detroit's one thing. Boston threw another one at him. And that's why I say, Alex, if we're going to pump the brakes on this Celtics fest that we're on right now and just raving about this win and all the game one winners win these series. Once Malcolm Brogdon gets back, and I do think he's going to be back in this series, it's a whole different story because that's honestly their third piece. You got Chris Middleton going. Giannis is certainly going to get going in this series. They need Malcolm Brogdon, that 50, 40, 90 season that he's had. And, you know, he is one of those Celtics killers that we talk about all the time. He's going to be a big difference in this series once he gets back. And fortunately for the Celtics, that's not going to be game two. He's already ruled out of that one. Yeah, and I think another thing that people don't really talk a lot about with the Bucks that I've kind of hit a lot of it, they shoot a lot of threes. 
but they're not very good at shooting them. They were actually under league average this year at shooting three-pointers despite their big attempts. So when you miss a guy who who's shooting 40% from three, that has a bigger effect than people realize because that's the difference between playing a guy like Malcolm Brockton who can hold his own defensively and then be one of your best shooters and replacing him with a guy like Pat Knotten or Sterling Brown, who aren't necessarily great shooters, and, and on the other end, can't really hold their own against bigger against Boston's bigger wins, wings. So this is definitely going to be um, an, an interesting adjustment when he gets back. Can, can he get back to the level that he was at during the regular season, just right off the bat in, in, in a playoff scenario? And what's Boston's counter going to be? Because uh, we saw Zach Lowe kind of talk about oh maybe they can start picking on Kyrie I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is that type of score where his scores are going to come up isolating Kyrie so I don't think that's an actual thing but he is going to have an effect on on rushing Kyrie he's, he's going to have an effect on how much Boston can help off Giannis so whenever he does get back it is going to be interesting to see how Boston is going to be able to deal with that what do you think of the semi-Ogelay stretch in this one they tried it I don't think it went as well as they probably wanted to. It felt kind of awkward sprinkling him in there. Usually he just gets right on Giannis, and that's their thing, and then they rotate to the other guys. Sprinkling him in more in the flow of the action felt a little bit more awkward. Yeah, I don't. I I I wonder how much they'll actually need him this this series because I I think we all made a big part of it. Um, honestly, it, it it wasn't unreasonable because after what we saw last year, like he was starting games at once at one point over Jason Tatum for his ability to guard Giannis. But I think what we're seeing now is that the Celtics, with the addition of kind of like Gordon Hayward, um, Jalen Brown's another year in, he's a little bit stronger. Um, Horford is there along with they have Baines. I just think they have that extra wing that they that they needed already. So maybe his contributions aren't going to be as impa- as impactful or necessary as much as we thought. But I did think the Celtics wanted to trot it out, see see how it looked. It was kind of just insignificant, to be honest with you. I didn't see anything crazy impactful that he did or didn't do. So we'll see if they continue to try that or they just continue to give their minutes to their uh, three or four main wings. I just want to say this, though. Horford has three blocks in the game. Never mind all of the points and everything else. Al Horford, man. The amount of times that he has just, you know, completely slapped the average Al people across the face, stuck it to them with these monster playoff performances. Like, you, you don't even need people like me and you out here waving his flag anymore because he's just doing it himself. And it's so blatant. It's so obvious. Normally his impact's so discreet throughout the flow of the regular season that, you know, we got to write these great think pieces and dive into the video and do all that. And then he just comes on the playoffs, hits every shot, plays perfectly in the pick and roll, rebounds 10 a game, and then smacks Giannis's put-back attempt all the way into the crowd, falls over doing it, leaves him standing on the ground. Like, he, he, pr- he pretty much writes the article for us with the way he plays. And today was no different. 20 points, 11 rebounds, three big blocks, completely dominated that matchup with Giannis and basically gave them the offense that they needed too. Looks healthy doing it. I mean, that block, not the first one, the second one where it bounced off the backboard, went flying, both of them fall to the ground. I mean, that that's my lasting image at this point of Horford with the Celtics. His playoff impact is just impeccable. 
And, you know, other people were tweeting about it today. Some of these playoff bigs lose their value. He seems to gain value in these situations. And, again, some of these up-and-coming MVP prospects like Embiid, like Giannis and other examples out there, like he, he doesn't just slow them down in a lot of circumstances. He just completely takes them off their game. And th- this looks like the matchup that's going to be so hard for Milwaukee to break again. And what did we say during the year? If they lost Horford, throw the season in the trash. Instead, he's rejuvenated to the point where he looks like he's the X factor in the postseason on the east side. For sure. I mean, I don't think Al Horford's importance can be understated, especially in this conference where we're going up against the likes of Simmons and Bede. Um, if if they advance, you're talking about Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam. So it's like you need that type of big who can just kind of be versatile and also make other bigs pay with his three-point shooting ability. Um, I think the one thing I have in my notebook is just you know, just kind of going through like the immediate reactions of the games from both sides. There's a little bit of a theory that like, oh, the Celtics just hit a bunch of mid-range and shots, and they were just it was a lot of jump shooting, and that's the reason why they won. I would say look at who took those jump shots. Look at like look at who was making those jump shots, and look at where those jump shots came from. In theory, mid-range shots are bad as a diet of your entire offense, but if they're coming off of wide-open pick and pops from Gordon Hayward or, or uh, Al Horford, or they're coming off of Kyrie isolations. Not as not as bad, to be honest with you. So I think that it's a little bit of fool's gold to assume that the Celtics just hit shots, and that's not something that's sustainable. Because if it comes in those situations, I would actually say it is a, it is sustainable in this type of series. So that's something to look at going forward. My other one before I close the books on the Bucks and give them another chance in Game Two. After the season he's had, it was strange to watch Eric Bledsoe look as empty as he did in this one. And not just missing shots, which the whole team did. There were situations in that third quarter, fourth quarter, where the Celtics were just leaving him on an island at the elbow, out on the perimeter, finally hit one on the baseline. And they were basically doubling another guy and leaving him by himself. And he didn't want to shoot. And I think that's where Bomani Jones was tweeting about the Bucks just being afraid to shoot outside of Giannis. I didn't see it a whole lot outside of Bledsoe, but Bledsoe had a weird, weird game. 25 minutes, and he just didn't seem to want to attack. And that was a big, big cost for them because if Brogdon's not going to be in there on the ball, being their third guy, he's got to be it. And once again, just like last year, he was completely empty in this game. Yeah, I mean... It's it's honestly weird. I don't know what exactly I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> I know Boston is putting longer people on him, so like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum won a, won a fair share at him, and obviously the pain is a little packed when you have guys like Giannis just in there. There's already that extra attention, so some of like his like improved finishing that he was doing and showing off during the regular season isn't there. And I don't know. He's going against Kyrie, so there's not a lot of impact he can make there like usually usually the way to defend Kyrie is to put longer people on him and he's long but he's not I don't think he's long enough to really like impact Kyrie especially if Kyrie is you know kind of doing what he's doing like Kyrie's not just trying to iso and go one-on-one which is somewhere I think Eric Bledsoe could make a make a real impact then when it's just someone trying to go mono to mono against him because he's so large but with both when the way Kyrie is attacking his attacking defensive scheme like it kind of minimizes his defensive impact and what he does well defensively and offensively like you said uh the pain is packed he's not getting shots so 
we'll see how he adjusts because he's 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 also a guy that looks like he gets into his head a little bit. So we'll so we'll see how he responds in game two. When the time comes, DJS Smithward asks, "How do you integrate Smart back into this? Do you start him or bring him off the bench?" I would I would bring him off the bench. I think the starting lineup as is has done a really good job. I actually think playing bigger to start against the Bucks was something I was thinking about even before we knew the extent of Smart's injury. I just think it works a little better. So I would definitely bring him off the bench. I'd let him and kind of like Hayward kind of captain like a really good like second unit when it's mixed in with some starters. There's even more ball movement. There's better defense. And especially against like, okay, um, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but in a potential series against someone like the Raptors where they have a very loaded bench with like Serge Ibaka and Fred Bamfleet and things like that, having like kind of like those two to counter off the bench could also be a huge asset for Boston. So I would definitely bring him off the bench. And those Raptors looked real good in game one. I've been saying I'm more scared of that team than Milwaukee, but that is getting ahead of ourselves. Thanks for the question. Uh, we're going to get into Alex's notebook right now, get a few notes from him. But what what a game. I mean, Bodenholzer after didn't have a lot to say. He thought they didn't even get enough foul calls, which I thought was strange when you um, look at the free throw discrepancy between these teams, which, of course, has to do a lot with Boston taking no free throws as they've done all year. Didn't hurt them too badly tonight. But Milwaukee went to the line, let's see, 24 times, which is a little low for them, I'd say. But, you know, strange takeaway on that side for them. Uh, Kyrie the passer, though, in this one. I want to start there with you, Alex, and get your take on that one. Because the assists are up this year. Certainly, I think the emphasis on passing is up. And again, in this one, just able to defer and be dominant as he did in the first round. That mix with him, I think he gives the Celtics just what they need in any given game. He had a couple crazy baskets, great movement that he sparked, and then he goes off the ball, too, when he needs to get Hayward going and these other guys going. I think Kyrie's been perfect this postseason. Yeah, I think I think Irving has really gotten good at understanding that teams are really preparing for him to be like the quote-unquote Uncle Drew. That's and what go the Bucks were saying buckets. from the start. Yeah, and, and go for his buckets. And they're really kind of they're really kind of ready to like load up on him and watch his offensive power. And he's countering that well by using the extra help that they're giving on him to then make things better for his teammates. And I tweeted this early in the first quarter, but when you're when you have a good isolation scorer who's also being given people who you can't help off of, that's a really tough position to be in. And I think Kyrie understands that and he's using that to his advantage to eventually, you know, get his buckets. Cause it's it's not like he's not shooting. He, he took twenty one shots tonight. He had twenty six and eleven. Um he is scoring, but he's also scoring in a way where he's making sure all the rest of his teammates are getting involved and getting touches. And that's that's something that a lot of people were waiting to see from him. And it's part of the reason why I think he wanted to get out of Cleveland and kind of show he can do that. So it's definitely great to to see him like kind of take his game to the next level in that extent. Get out of Cleveland. I, th- I saw Justin Rowan in the chat here just a few minutes ago. I wonder if he was still here to hear that one. Get out of Cleveland. All right, open up the notebook, Kungu. One, getting Jason Tatum more involved offensively. We touched on that a little bit. I think it's a. I think the Tatum versus Bledsoe matchup is a little rough. I, I think it's one of those situations where you can't necessarily ISO him in this series a lot because I think the Bucks have the kind of like the personnel to handle straight ISO situations. But continuing to move the ball um, and get into the paint and then draw. Um, 
passes out from there to then get open shots is somewhere where if Tatum's continuing to move off ball and things, he can he can find himself a lot of good baskets. Uh, one other thing about the Bucks defense that despite there being the number one defense in the NBA, they give up I think top maybe top five in actual paint attempts. Though they're though though they're one of the best at defending the paint, they give up a lot of attempts in the paint, which for the Celtics actually is a plus because as you know they use paint touches to then kick out to shooters. So despite maybe the Bucks, you know, packing the paint and feeling really good about not allowing people to score in the paint against a team like Boston, they're really not looking to score in the paint as much. They're, they're, they're looking to use the threat of that to then create for their shooting. So it'll be interesting to see how Bud counters. Um, he's gotten, he's gotten himself in, in a lot of trouble the 2015 series against the Cavs was one main, main, main example when he had the 60 win Hawks. Um, he refused to change this specific defensive scheme. And I don't think they can afford to just not play guys like Brooke Lopez because he's one of their best shooters and part of the space. Well, they went with him in the fourth quarter and it was, it was interesting because he nearly popped a three right out of the gate. Right when Giannis started drilling his threes, he got called for another travel when he lifted Horford off the line. So he was generating a few good looks there when they went with him again. It just didn't work out for them. And, you know, we wondered in the slack, are they going to post him up if they're just putting a wing on him? And they didn't post him up once in this game. So I think we got a resounding no there. Yeah, and, and something interesting, he, he was actually the only guy who had a who had a positive plus minus to this game. He had, he had a plus two. And that was the one guy who everyone was saying, oh, they need to play him off the court. Can he survive on the court? And he ended up, you know, just from maybe some of that just being in, being in the game during good stretches. But he didn't end up being the only one that was in for positive stretches um, for Milwaukee. So yeah, I don't... So I, I mean, don't... besides calling for more free throws, that's somewhere they can look to. They got to utilize him better because honestly, the Celtics really aren't concerned about him as far as matchup goes. They're just going to throw somebody on him, and I don't think they're going to move too much in that regard. And this is a guy that can grab rebounds for you, and he had only three in this game. So they probably underutilized him a little bit. Why not use him instead of Pat Connaughton, who certainly doesn't belong out there? And I thought Ilya Silva looked fairly awful too. Yeah, and I think that's also kind of the dilemma Milwaukee's in because they're they want Brooke Lopez in for his spacing ability, but when the Celtics are putting wings on him, maybe his best way to score is in the post. But then on top of that, if you're if you want him to score in the post, where are you putting Giannis? Because Giannis is also in the post. So then it creates this weird kind of fit where the Celtics are daring them to, hey, if you want <laughs> if you want to take advantage, you have to go out of your game plan and go out of what you were so successful at in order to do it. And they're basically daring Milwaukee to do that. And we'll see, is Bud actually going to, you know, make them pay for that? Or is he going to try to continue to go his way and just say, like, maybe with more free throws and, you know, a little bit better focus defensively, we could we could have just been in this game, too. So this is the Celtics Block Pod after a resounding win for the Celtics in this series. You all know the stats about Game 1 winners, 112-90, to 90, as this one turns toward a Game 2. Celtics without Marcus Smart, Bucks without Malcolm Brogdon, advantage Celtics in the first round here. As you know, we do, post, we do voicemails here every once in a while on this program, and if you want to leave your lasting memory of John Havlicek, this is Havlicek Stole the Pod, so we might as well... Do him justice as the namesake of this one. 978-595-1744. You can leave us a voicemail about your lasting memory. If you remember him playing or if your grandpa told them about him playing, 
Either one's fine. We'll take it. Kungu, you know, Paul Pierce, he's gotten a lot of flack this year on the post-game show ESPN. Some people want him replaced by Dwayne Wade. He was pretty resilient after this one, saying that the Celtics are going to take this one with ease. Um, How are you feeling now? Because we both jumped off the ship about a third of the way through the season. We said, you know, this team's lost it, and we're doubters, blah, blah, blah. And now all of a sudden here they are looking like the version of themselves that they could be. Have they gotten you back on? Yeah, so, I mean, prior prior to the series, I had the Bucks and Six, and even the last time we talked, um, I was definitely like, hey, they're, they're, they're the second-round team until proven otherwise. I think I'm at this stage still with the Celtics. I just – they have to prove it. They went through a very shaky regular season where – they consistently show that like when the going gets tough, they they separate, they want to do their own thing. Um, so far, this playoffs, that hasn't been the case, and it's encouraging to see. But this is also, you know, it's a one-game result. We'll see, how, we'll see how Milwaukee counters. And you know going into game two, Giannis is definitely going to get to the line way more. Whether it deserves or not is a different inquiry. Regardless, he's going to get more free throws next game. And we'll see how Boston responds. We'll see how that looks. Um, like I I'm, said in the I'm, opener, I'm still more scared of Toronto. So that's when that time comes, I'm going to address that team, and I think they're going to beat Philadelphia. Celtics haven't won up there in forever. I think Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the postseason right now, the way he's going at it on both ends of the floor. So that's what holds me back still with this team. And honestly, that's nothing the Celtics can control. Toronto being great, that's out of their hands. The fact that the Celtics have gotten back with small ball to looking like they who they could have been when the season began, I mean, that's enough for me, even if they lose a hard-fought battle with Toronto when that time comes. Uh, you saw the Jalen Brown tweet floating around, the one from five years ago, saying that his teacher would look him up in the jail and... Now, looking back on that one, he addressed it after the game, said he never, he'll never he never forget when this teacher told him that in the Atlanta, uh, Atlanta school system, Atlanta area school system. They said he was going to be in Cobb County Jail as teacher. And now here he is, 19 points on the playoff stage. What do you make of that story? No, I mean, it's great. And, uh, you know, Jalen, obviously being, you know, an African-American and in America and being, and, and you know, coming from, a low-income place in Atlanta, you know, to to see his rise coming from a kid that, you know, honestly, you don't you don't necessarily know that you're going to make the NBA at that stage. You don't necessarily know um, what the future holds for you, and a lot of those kids don't necessarily have the room to think like that or to dream that big. So it was definitely unfortunate that there's a teacher in that system that brings kids down like that. But it definitely has to feel good for him to just see despite all that like i'm here like i made it myself and you know hopefully he uses that he continues to use that as a way to uplift other people in the way that maybe he didn't get as much so definitely a great story and if we're talking basketball again another sneaky 20 points 19 points off the or he's not off the bench anymore he's starting at this point he's making his cuts hitting his threes hitting tough shots early in this one that's just to have like a 10, 20 point buffer like that in one of your role guys as he's established himself as this year, brilliant. I mean, he's he's one of the great silver linings of this year, the way he built himself up from his early struggles to what he's doing now. So two sides to that story as there always is with basketball. Great win for the Celtics in this one. Everybody tuning in on Twitter, appreciate the support. Uh, you can find the show on demand on iTunes, 
on Stitcher, on Spotify, everywhere you pick up your pods, you can get us. And we're going to probably be live after just about every single game in this series. It's just a love fest here for the Celtics. Nothing really negative to say about the team here outside of Tatum's usage, which, you know, is, could go by the wayside the way the team's played this year. Giannis is going to come back. I don't think there'll be another performance like this one in the whole series. If I remember last year, too, there was a game like this early on, and then he was just a monster the rest of the way. Uh, so I still think we have seven games here. I got the Celtics in seven. Kungu went with Bucks in six, which they are now have long odds of the Celtics take back home court in this one. Alex, let's talk after game two. All right, see you later, man.